Welcome to the Job Shop Show, where we talk with the owners, suppliers, partners, and customers of custom manufacturers. Listen and learn the secrets of top-performing job shops, the tools, techniques, and backgrounds that have made them successful, all on the quest of raising the bar for custom manufacturing. I'm your host, Jay Jacobs. This episode is sponsored by Paperless Parts, connecting buyers and suppliers of custom manufactured parts. The Paperless Platform is a secure, ITAR-compliant, cloud-based manufacturing system for suppliers that reduces the amount of time spent on sales, estimating, quoting, administration, and order processing. It offers seamless integration with the accounting and ERP software tools that shops already use, such as QuickBooks, E2, and JobBoss. Paperless Parts was founded with a mission to make manufacturing more accessible by streamlining the quote-to-cash process. Spend less time quoting and more time selling. This episode is sponsored by our friends at the NTMA, the National Tooling and Machining Association. The NTMA is an association of privately held, entrepreneurial-based, and family-owned businesses, representing nearly 1,200 small to mid-sized machine shops and tool and die shops across the country. They have approximately 30 very active regional chapters that host local events, run apprenticeship programs, and provide other services to their regional members. As an association of peers, the goal of the NTMA is to help members of the U.S. precision custom manufacturing industry achieve profitable growth and business success in a global economy through networking, workforce development and training, technology, best practices education, advocacy, programs, and services with industry partners. To learn how your company can get involved with the NTMA, including how to join, visit ntma.org. Shazam! This is Jay Jacobs. Welcome to the Job Shop Show. Today we have a special edition of the Job Shop Show. I'm joined here with Steve Lynch, who I worked with at Rapid and who is now the owner of Approved Sheet Metal. Steve's been on the Job Shop Show and just thought it would be great to have him on as both a technical resource as well as a new shop owner as he bought Approved Sheet Metal earlier in 2020. So we'll have Steve on board. And then do you want to spend more time working on your business rather than in your business? In other words, does your business drive your day-to-day activities and you spend your time fighting fires, yet you know that to grow your business, you need to be more intentional and proactive and working on things that will make you and your company better tomorrow? Our guest today, Jamie Spitzer, has figured out some of these answers. He runs and owns a machine shop he started in 1997 in Wisconsin. They have had steady growth over the past 23 years and now have a team of over 50 people running three shifts. So welcome to the Job Shop Show, Jamie and Steve. Thank you. Thank you, Jay. Great to have you. And I want to start out, Jamie, with a post I read on LinkedIn that you posted a couple months ago, and it was more related to the COVID situation at the time. And specifically, you got into a quote, you become what you think about. And I'm probably going to get a little heavy here right at the start, but why does that resonate with you? Well, you know, I think all of us um, go through very challenging times, whether it's personal, in business, and 
last two years for me, I've been doing a lot of self-development work, a lot of looking in the mirror um, and really trying to take a look at that quote, read the book. Um, and I think there's just a what, lot. What to book be, is that from? Just so people know. Um, you become what you think about. And um, I don't know the exact author, but uh, I, I, I did read it and um, been watching a lot of videos centered around that behavior. And, and I really think there's a lot to be said um, where you spend your time and thought is how you become. Absolutely. The, um, and I'm just looking up here. It's by Vic Johnson. So yeah. if anybody is interested in that, it made me think about a concept which I go back to fairly often, which is, have you ever listened or watched David Foster Waller's This Is Water 2005 commencement speech? You ever heard of that no. one? No, I, I have not. That was really impressive. And it, and it does make you step back and think about things. So the, the basic concept is he starts out, he tells this little story. There are two young fish swimming along and they happen to meet an older fish swimming the other way who nods at them and says, morning boys. How's the water? And the two young fish swim on a bit. And then eventually one of them looks over at the other and goes, what the hell is water? And I can't do this speech justice, of course. You just got to watch it. I encourage you to go on to the web, David Foster Wallace, this is water commencement speech. And what he's really saying though, is what you just wrote about, Jamie, is the thoughts in our head are what we are, what we become. And those are our reality, our water. So it's super important to think about what you're thinking about. And if you don't step back and realize if you are, let's say in the, the COVID pandemic here, you're always thinking about the negativity, it's still could be a beautiful day. You have your family around you. you there's, there are always positive things to look at. There, there's a lot of empathy in that too, about like, you know, thinking about where the other person's coming from and, you know, their life or just getting mad at them. Yeah. So anyways, yeah, yeah. so we, we got heavy here in the beginning, but I just, I just thought that that was really powerful and I'm glad you, you put that post out there, Jamie. Thank you. Before we get into the meat of the, the podcast, I hope today, can you give us a little bit of the background, a thumbnail sketch of who Precision Machine is today? Um, today, Precision Machine is uh, <clears throat> just a single, a single entity. We don't have multiple locations. About 50 people work in three shifts. Um, we do approximately nine million dollars a year in, in sales. Um, we ship product all over the world and uh, our largest industry we serve is aerospace, but we do a lots of other ones. We don't do any design of our own other than fixturing and um, we don't make our own products. So we're completely service driven. What type of equipment? Um, we have turning, uh, mostly Mazax. We have a Citizen Swiss as well. And then on the mill side, we get into Haas, um, and uh, brother, and we also have a Kitamura horizontal. Do you have any pallets on that? Yep, we have a eight pallet station. 
is that something recent? Because that's having a horizontal with pallets is not a common at a shop. Why'd you do that? Uh, evolution. We started with the standard Fidal uh, opening and closing the doors, went to a Haas, went to a pallet changer on the Haas, went to a brother high speed, and then went to a horizontal with eight pallets. Do you see a lot more prototype or production work? Uh, in that area, we see a lot more uh, production work, but we also have our businesses kind of split into two sectors. One is prototype, rapid development, and then the other part is production and repeat work. So, so can you describe your lead times a little bit? Uh, new part area, prototype area, uh, one week, uh, probably average to as much as two to three weeks, but then on production, probably around four to six weeks is average. Do you have the prototypes of short run parts run in the same equipment, in the same area, the same people as the production parts, or do you separate them consciously? They are separate. They're two different entities. Um, they're actually in the same building, but they're run by a different group of people. Um, same kind of equipment, but just done differently. The focus is different. The support is different. Um, production is just the repeat and they run and they run and they run. So, and I think it's important, we'll get into your background of how you started the shop a little bit, but you started at ground zero. So you were employee number one, yet you've evolved into this system. When and why did you decide to split the two different types of part making? Um, Employee frustration, number one, and customers not getting their parts fast enough, number two. So people were, they were working on prototype jobs and they were working on production jobs and it was going from machine A to machine B, across the hall, back and forth. Everybody was like in chaos and the customer was suffering because we were constantly breaking into production jobs to do prototypes and we said enough's enough and we just cut a line on the floor one day we pulled two machines aside, we took them out of the schedule, and we said enough is enough. And ever since that day, we've never looked back. Yeah, I think a lot of shops struggle with the, the repeat orders that come in, even if they're short run, but mm -hmm. they're repeat orders, like you say, and cutting into them with a prototype or even an existing customer who might be your biggest customer still can impact the production. So we had a philosophy of rapid, rapid that we learned over time to separate the prototypes and what ended up being production, what we called the repeat orders. So I think Steve saw the easiest way to get smoke coming out of your team members' heads is to ask them to do a prototype part real fast. And then the next one, ask them to do a production part and pay attention to detail. And <laughs> not that you don't pay attention to detail in the prototypes, but it's just, it's just a different mindset. And, and, and do you see that in your shop? Do, do the types of folks who work in the areas, they're probably different, right? Yeah, correct. Absolutely true. Um, I think what you notice is, um, you can develop people faster in a prototype area. Um, you can get them up to speed. You can teach them new things. Um, it's a great way to bring them on board and to kind of evolve their techniques. 
when you put them in production, people get so caught in the same parts, the same setup. You know, we've done it before, we're doing it again. And then when you give them a brand new part, I don't want to say they freak out, but sometimes they're like, you know, what do I do? I'm not used to running this thing. And, and then you can put them back on a production part and, and you're exactly right. Like it's been a whole lot easier on them and just in, in general to separate them. I forgot about that, but that's a great point is that the number of parts we had running through our shop, it really gave someone say five years of experience in one year compared to most shops. And that was a huge advantage, whether they stayed in the prototypes or they went into a production. Got any comments on that, Steve? You remember some of the things that we saw? No, you're absolutely right. And just to watch the employees' growth over a short amount of time, they liked it. Well, they were scared at first, but everyone that really stayed through it became one of the great people that in our area that is still around. When you add equipment, Jamie, do you pay cash for that equipment or do you lease it? Do you get a loan? I just, before we get off of sort of the shop subjects, it's something I've been thinking about. Well, I think you got to take into consideration where I came from. 24, um, no four-year degree, no management experience, never ran a shop, never managed people, started a business from scratch. And now what I did from day one was um, had great partners and financial backing as far as banking. I didn't have any investors. I just went to the bank. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people who stuck their neck out for me. And then what, what I did is I went off a of customer demand. So customers were like, hey, we're going to push more, we're going to push more. So we'd go by, we'd call the bank and say, hey, we need a loan. We'd get a loan. Um, you know, we keep paying it. Now in the last two years, my philosophy is 100% different. Um, I, I understand a little bit more. And now we basically paid down our debt to a point that we're paying cash for everything. So why the, why the, cha why the change? I, I know some shop owners don't have a choice if they want to bring a new piece of equipment on, but why, right. obviously you could still take out a loan. So why the choice? Well, the first thing I will say is I, I dropped my, maybe my ego or the fact that I needed to get better. So I started to look in the mirror about two years ago, awful. It was an awful uh, hard process, but much needed. And I found uh, Dave Ramsey. I went to some of his conferences. I read his books and I found the value of getting out from underneath creditors. And from that point forward, I've done some personal things. I've done some business things and I'm now in, in the mindset that if we can't pay cash, we don't need it. You think that that has impeded growth at all? Uh, no. Really? So you're, you're growing just as fast, but uh, I had the same philosophy. We still, we had loans, uh, but they, our debt was relatively low as a percentage of sales. Mm -hmm. And I slept really well at night. Yep. Was there any sacrifices or things that you had to give up to do that? I mean, there's always a trade-off, right? Right. Well, I think for me, you know, personally, I, I live a pretty uh average comfortable life like i don't i don't buy stuff i really don't need like i don't have five homes i don't have 10 cars i don't have and i'm not saying you shouldn't have that i'm just saying for me personally i've always invested my money back into the business i've paid down debt 
and I can not only sleep at night, I can live comfortably, but then going forward, my people are taken care of. And I don't, I don't really have to worry about the financial impacts of being over leveraged with loans. So I don't know if you have, if your business has suffered and this is recorded in early June, 2020, but over the last three months because of the pandemic, but probably this resulting lower debt load made you feel a little better when this unexpected event happened. Yeah, correct. I mean, when I think about it now where we're at, I'm like, I'm very grateful that two years ago I tried, I, I reached out and I tried to change my own behavior and, and stop riding the same rat wheel all day long and just said enough's enough. Who's this Dave Ramsey? I'm not familiar with him. Um, yeah, he's got uh, Financial Peace University. He, um, he started a business many years ago. Um, he's been in real estate. Um, I want to say he had a very successful business and he went bankrupt. Um, and then he started up again based on what happened to him in the first place. He came back at it and he's, he's got uh, thousands of employees all over the world. And he's got a big corporate headquarters in um, Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, yeah, he's just, I, I mean, there's other people out there obviously too that do what he does, but um, he's got some good stuff. Taught me a lot. Do you so own he, the building you're in? Uh, do we own the building we're in? Yeah. Yeah, correct. And is that in a separate corporation? Yes. Yeah. So you've been in business for a long time, like over 20 years, correct? Correct. Along that way, have you ever made a roadmap or a plan? And are you at that stage of doing that now? Well, I will tell you, um, sometimes I wonder how I made it this far, just simply because I'm a fly by the seat of your pants kind of guy. Um, now, again, I have vision and I'm very particular about things and, and, and that's true. But when it comes to like designing a roadmap and sticking to it and following it, to some degree that does happen, but I'm also the guy who's very agile. I keep my things on rollers and even my machines, a lot of them are not mounted. Um, the joke around here with machinery is, oh, precision, we got a call. They want to wash underneath their machines. They'll come over here and they'll move them across the aisle and they'll spin them a different direction and set them down. And the joke with the guys is, oh, we got to go clean at precision today. So, the re <laughs> But the reason we do that is because we find that flow needs to change. Production is not good. Employees are struggling. Customers need more. It's just constantly. And that's why I said a lot of things are on um, they're on roller skates because um, we, we don't have time to cut and dig foundations. And, you know, and again, our machinery is small enough that we don't have to worry about big pits. Um, we don't have large floor bars and stuff like that. Some people do have to worry about that, but we change a lot. Now, I think this uh, is, I'm going to jump in here, Steve, because I think this is a great segue to how you got started because you said you started the business when you were 24, but you worked at other shops. And mm -hmm. before the podcast, we talked about the, there were just ways that you thought a business could be run better. And perhaps if they had run their shops the way that you run your shop now, you, you wouldn't have wanted to start another shop. You would have been happy continuing to work there. So maybe you can share with us your experience in working with the other shops and how that 
jump started you to just, I guess, have that itch that you had to satisfy that there is a better way to do it? First thing I will say, I learned this one from Wicked Tuna of all places. Um, one of the guys on there basically said that, um, you know, you need to pay respect to your elders no matter what. You never run them down. You never criticize them. You never, um, you know, say bad things about them. I think even in this industry, when I started, there was a lot of people trying to steal each other's work. There were a lot of, um, you know, not so good relationships. I think today is a different world. But when I got started, I grew up in a household of customer service. My mom was a nurse. My dad um, owned several small businesses, plus he had a full-time job. My grandpa worked road construction. Um, it was always around the farming mentality. That's where my dad did a lot of his work, and my mom took care of um, a lot of football players and uh, getting knee surgeries and stuff like that. So we'd be sitting down at the kitchen table, and the phone would ring. A farmer would have something broke uh, or something was wrong. My dad's meal would be half eaten. We'd get up from the table and we'd go work on that farm, trying to help that farmer till God knows what time. So from little on, I was just taught, not by words, but by action, you need to take care of people at all costs. So when I got a job um, working in different places, you know, one, I was young, inexperienced, impatient, figured I could, you know, conquer the world. And um, I learned as I went and I said, you know what, I, I think I can do this for myself. And I think that the two biggest things I took away was one, I wanted to take care of the customer at an even better level than the, the, the people I worked for. And I wanted my employees to stop saying, I'm just coming to work for a paycheck. For some reason, I just felt like that was not a healthy recipe to go to work every day and say, it's just about a paycheck. So those were like two big reasons for me um, to start. Are, are there any specific things that, that you can describe that helps you do that better as far as employees, um, motivation and stuff? Well, I, I think it's like anything else. Nobody's perfect. Even though I started to take care of the employees, uh, you know, better than what maybe my employers were doing better things for customers. You know, I think it's an ongoing thing, right? It's never like you provide this, you know, amazing environment for every single person because it's really difficult to do that for 100% of your workforce. Um, but I think overall, when I look at it, um, I, I think our customer service, and in fact, I know this is true. Um, when I call our customers and I ask about it on a regular basis, I got like two and a half pages of calls I made in the last week asking them specifically, tell me where we suck. Tell me where we got to get better. And then we, we design the solution around their, their, their feedback. Same thing we're starting to do with employees now. Um, and, and we've kind of built on that over the years, but just, you know, continuing to ask like, what's your experience? What's not good? What's got to change? And I think that when you're trying to collaborate with people at a real humanistic level, you can do a lot of amazing things. And I think that's where we spend a lot of our time is let's just be people. Uh, are you doing all the reviews or do you empower your managers or sub-managers? Yeah, we empower our, our, uh, our leaders and the people around us. I get involved in some of them, um, but for the most part, um, I have faith in the people around me and, and I want them to come up with the solutions on how to make it better. I don't necessarily want to take all that responsibility because I'm not the smartest person in this company. You mentioned you just spent 
the last week or so calling customers, you have two and a half pages of things, notes, mm -hmm. and you're a successful shop. What, what could possibly be on those two and a half pages, things you, you can be doing better? And, and you already have a, such a, a great customer service attitude. I believe when I stop worrying about it is when we're going to die. I, I think that when your customer experience rating is 90, 95%, whatever that number is, and you turn the dial down and go, hey, we're doing well, no problems, that's when you're going to get taken out. I think that it's a never-ending thing. Do you find, and, and I ask this because I saw this at Rapid, that you, it's, you make the calls, because I would make calls too, and a lot of times there are things that you've already solved, but there's new people within your organization and the, I don't want to say the culture shifted, but it's just not everybody has that roadmap of, of how the company previously operated. And, and it's not so much that they are trying to go around the culture of precision, but they just don't know it. Do you, so I guess my question, do you see those sort of things come up? Maybe not the same thing over and over, but similar things? You know, I, I think there is a small bit of that and it does make a lot of sense when you have someone new and doesn't understand the ins and outs and it's not quite at the level of some of your tenure people that have been here a while. But the one thing I think that I've seen on the customer side is that I think we all as business owners or executives, we need to make sure we stay at the contact level of the customer on a regular basis because one, it shows we care at a human level. Two, it shows that it's not beyond our pay scale. And three, I think it also just kind of helps us decide what to do tomorrow that we're not doing today. Because we see things differently than customer service or whoever's making these calls. And sometimes we need to just kind of clear our minds a little bit, you know, and stop thinking about so many other things that are driving the business and then step back and say, well, really, what does a customer want? And, and do we even know um, at the source of it, what the answer is. And sometimes we don't, sometimes we got to make those calls just to find that out. The customers, are they, are the expectations from what you're seeing the same today as they were five, 10 years ago, or how have they changed? What do they want more of? Well, in my, in my um, research and my work on a, on a daily basis, the one thing I can tell you is the customer, in my opinion, is a different person. They are stressed out. They have too much work. Then you add COVID on top of it. They're, they're being required to handle way more than what they can do. And the other part of it is, is their, their supply chain is full of great people, but it's also full of people who lie to them on a regular basis. Like, hey, I can get that order done for you next week. And they, they, they have to call and they have to call and they have to call. And, and what I've made a commitment to, and we're doing it with our team is that we're not perfect, but if our customer calls here and asks for something and we don't get back to them, someone's gonna lose some skin. Do you have an automated phone answering system or do you have somebody live answer the phone? We have a human being on the phone, and again, nothing against those that, that do have automated, but it, there will never be an automated attendant here as long as I work here. 
I see Steve cheering because that was something even at Rapid when we were over 300 employees and in four different buildings across uh, four, two or three miles. Anyways, we, we always had someone answer the phone. I just totally believe that. And what I always, I, and, and what you said just resonated because what I always said to folks was, we want to be a frictionless supplier. And what mm -hmm. I meant by that was, like you said, the buyers have so many other suppliers they're working with and some are going to be great, but others they know that they have to pay attention to and they don't have a choice for whatever reason, but to work with them. And there's just a lot of friction with those suppliers. So if you can be a frictionless supplier, then, and as long as the prices aren't outrageous, then they will just sort of hand orders to you and know that you'll deliver and they don't have to worry about you because they got enough other things to worry about. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, well, Jamie, I have a lot of respect from where you're at and what you've accomplished already. Um, one of the things I always kind of ask and step myself is like, how do you define success in your business? Yeah, that's a tough one because success in the dictionary has a defined meaning, but to the, to anyone who, you know, you talk to about that word, it, it means a lot of different things, right? And to me, I think it's, it's success and is correlated to progress. If we're a little better than we were yesterday, that's success. If we're better people, if our service is better, if our machining is better, uh, whatever it may be, if we've done a much better job today than yesterday, uh, to me, that's success. It's a great answer. I like that. Yeah. And I keep hearing the word people as in all, in all the different ways that you're answering some of these questions and sounds like people are the driver of how you've set up your company and the business in a sense is set up to serve people. Is that mm -hmm. a good way of saying yeah, yeah, I was uh, 17 years old and I was handed a book to pick a career out. And the first thing that I said to my mom, because my dad worked nights, I said, I want to be a nurse. And she said, no way. She said, there's too much politics. Um, Got to work holidays, weekends. She goes, if you're going to have a family someday, no nursing in your future, right? <laughs> so, so when I look at the caregiver side of it and the connection to people and the relationships, I think that is number one in my personality and number two, I, I think that's where all good things come from is relationships. You also mentioned leaders when I said managers too. And that's a really good. Yeah. Managers to me, way. you know, yeah. And again, it's just how you look at it, right? Um, I'm not offended by the title manager, but I think it's to me, the vision I get is that it's somebody telling somebody what to do. A leader to me is I want you to go over there and give them a hug. And then I want you to walk them through how to get better then I want you to hold their hand through it. And next week when they're better or they're worse, we're gonna sit down and figure out why it's not changing or why it has changed. Because every leader, your reflection is the people you serve. So if, if they're not doing what is needed or they're not getting better, the leader's gotta look in the mirror and go, what am I doing wrong? Not have the employee look at looking in the mirror going like, man, like I'm being beat here. Like, what am I not doing right? So we really spend a lot of time on 
you know, are you a life coach? Are you someone who wants to make someone else better? Or are you just, again, here to tell somebody what to do? No, that's really well said. And even, even in my newer company, we're doing leadership training. And you yep. look at all the options that other customers have to choose from. And if you'll read some of these glass door reviews on machine shops, or even we know the local shops, like people are miserable there. And yep. these customers are really helping that misery versus picking a shop where they're trying to train or empower the people like you and grow and get better. I think that should be more aware of what they're doing when they buy, when they buy from other people. Well, I want to ask both of you guys, Steve, you just said you are implementing leadership training. So how specifically are you implementing leadership training? Are you doing that yourself? Are you giving them books to read? Are they watching videos? How? So we're going to, we're starting to meet once a month. And, and what are you doing when you're meeting? You've, you've sent me to leadership training for so long that I still have a lot of um, references and I built a PowerPoint and a slide and there's a lot of basics for at least a few months that I can teach myself or show them from the things that I've learned. How about you, Jamie? How do you teach your people to be leaders? So I believe before you can teach your leaders to be leaders, you gotta be one yourself. So in my kind of transformation, my work with Dave Ramsey, um, I took a couple courses um, myself. And then what I did is I put together, um, I don't know, it was probably a six month course, uh, homework assignments, videos. Um, I met with teams. I had half my company go through it just about. Um, I had leaders go through it first. Every single week we met for one hour. We had a group of 10. After the group of 10 were done and we got going, another group of 10 signed up. So I got about half of them. And what we did is we worked on personal development. It wasn't to develop them as a specific leader inside of Precision. It was to work on, you know, what do you think about, you know, what are your concerns? What are your worries? Like we, we taught people like they don't have to um, always feel the same way. So we talked a lot about emotional intelligence. Um, we spent a lot of time there. And now um, I felt it wasn't enough. So then I jumped on six months ago and I started life coaching for wellness. So mental wellness, physical wellness, um, six months in, I have another seven week course I'm in for um, group mentoring. So mentoring an entire group of so, people. And stuff. So is this stuff that your courses you're taking or these things that you are teaching yourself to I'm, people within your company? I'm teaching it myself and then um, what I learned, I put together and then I'm passing it down. And then I also started a program with a group of fifth and sixth graders at an elementary school. And then I'm doing uh, 11 elementary school teachers as well. Man, Tell us a, a customer, little more about it. <laughs> well, if I'm a customer, it's like, I want to buy parts from you to promote all that and, you know, spread the, spread that knowledge. It's really awesome. Yeah, tell, tell us a little more about the elementary school. So the, so the elementary school, I, I think that kids somewhere between maybe third and fourth grade getting into, you know, later grade school years, I think they go from a big group of friends to I don't like you and picking on each other, right? Now, again, I understand how it works. I mean, we've all gone through high school and we've all gone through the world and we understand how people behave. But I think if we could get to these kids as they're developing socially, and as they're going through some difficult times, can you guys remember 
the last time in a, in a K through 12 system where you learn math, English, science, and social studies, and then they turn around and they tell you how to deal with how you think. That never happens. Right. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to pilot a program where on a weekly basis, kids can spend 45 minutes one day a week talking about, you know, how they feel, um, behavioral things, um, things they're proud of, that kind of stuff. And then what the teachers found as we started doing it with kids, the teachers are like, well, this could improve how we work together. And then they reached out to me and the principal of the elementary school said, is there any way you could do this for us? And we started doing it. We got about four weeks into it and then COVID hit, but we started hearing stories of, uh, you know, relationships at home getting better, uh, you know, guys and their wives being able to do more things together and not necessarily not getting along. So I don't know. I, I just think that there's a lot to be said about when you have a human who has a brain in the or isn't thinking clearly or is in a bad, has had some bad traumatic experiences. If you don't clear that up and you don't help them with that, they're in product. They're not productive. Right. Right. You said you we. Said Do you go in yourself or there are there other people on your team? You mean as far as the teachings? Yeah. It's just me. So you're using that old editorial we, you're a good salesman. Well, I, I do get some <laughs> of the feedback from the education system and the teachers, like, you know, they give me feedback on what we should share with the kids or I, I get the videos pre-approved just because it's a little out of my league. I mean, I don't have that background and I just want to make sure that one, we're not doing any disservice to people and their parents know about it and stuff like that. Well, I love the fact that you, this, this relates to the whole theme of people and it's not just internal with your team members, but here's an example of being external. I hadn't thought about the opportunity to, to work with some of the school systems, but the customers, you, you talk a lot about the, the people aspect of the customer what other ways do you get involved with the community from the business side? You must have a shortage of skilled labor where you are almost every area does. They're looking for people who can come into a machine shop and be productive. So we um, obviously have a relationship with the Algoma High School. Um, so we have um, some of our guys go up there and help with mentoring kids through the school year. Um, they have a really nice lab um, CNC machines, Fab Lab, um, they do automotive, all kinds of stuff. The, the school board has been very good. The administrator has been very good about updating all of that and making sure it's up to today's standards. They have MasterCam and, and all of that. So um, we spend a fair amount of time up there. Um, we also look at people in but, general. Well, I was going to ask, when you say your team members are going up there, are you paying them for the time that they're spending there or is this a volunteer thing on their part no different than the training they receive for personal development here at work run by me if they want to go up to the school and do mentorship for the kids that's all paid for on their normal um pay scale they don't have to punch out do it as volunteer hours none of that so i love that for that's not usual with job shop owners for custom part manufacturers, but we hear a lot of kvetching, bitching about the skills 
shortage, if you don't do something about it, and you're actually not just doing something about it, but you're you're putting money into it by paying people at your company not to make parts, but to train the next generation and get them excited about the opportunities in our field. I'm going to tell you a little story that doesn't necessarily involve the high school, but it's an outreach to the community. So we have a local subway here in town. Um, I'd go in there on a regular basis, guy who'd make my sandwich. His customer service was unbelievable. His mind, as far as remembering what you ordered, was crazy. He always had a smile on his face. He always had the right attitude. Something happened and he got fed up with his job. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to start looking for a new job. He's like, I just, I got to do something different. He was married, had kids. And I said, well, you ever think about, you know, getting into machining? And I said, hey, if you ever want to, come, come take a look. So it ended up, we hired him and I sat down with him and I did his, his onboarding, like welcome to Precision, talked about the history. And he said, I got to tell you something. He said, uh, I never once thought I could be this happy. He's like, my kids, um, they, they see a different side of me. He goes, I love what I do. And the guys here who've trained him said that he is by far one of the top workers that we've ever had. And he's had no prior experience. So the one thing I learned from that is keep your eyes open to the people around you. There are people in tough conditions. They're there because they don't know what else to do. And I think we have to be conscious and looking around us going, not that we got to save everyone, but I think we got to be looking around us because there are, I, I used to get on board with, there's no one to hire. There's nothing more that frustrates me to talk about it like that because there are all kinds of people to hire. It's just, what are you willing to do different? And are you willing to reach out to someone who may need some help? And it's right underneath your nose. I, I love that, Jamie. I, my kids used to get embarrassed because I was known when we would go out to eat or be places, somebody gave us, gave me excellent customer service. I was always trying to poach them. And <laughs> we actually, remember Larry, Steve? at rapid machining he yeah. worked at, he worked at a sandwich shop and in this case it wasn't myself but a, a friend of mine said this guy is unbelievable you should you should hire him and yeah. it's a great hire Larry's a killer yeah so i encourage other job shop owners embarrass your family embarrass your kids and you spot that customer service person or just somebody who's got a great attitude i remember i, I was in a restaurant probably a year ago and there was an individual you could see the kitchen area I have never seen somebody hustling so hard for the entire time that I was eating and I actually went up and I just told him he was doing a fantastic job as I was leaving but that's the type of person that you want on your team and the uh if you, if you have the opportunity to bring them on board, attitude is so much. You can teach them the skills. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of what you are talking about, oh, before I, I jump into the intentionality, you, you mentioned that the onboarding, you sit down. Tell us a little bit about how you onboard. And Steve, I don't know what your approach is now, but I'd love to hear yours after. Um, I, th I think it's changed a lot over the years. Um, I got to give credit to uh, members of our team. Uh, they've done a great job with evolving that process. 
and now it's more on the mentorship side um, where someone comes in off the off the street applies gets hired um, they bring them in and they're they're paired with a mentor they're they're trained on a regular basis they're signed off on the things that they need to learn and then once it gets to a point where you know things are kind of settled down and they're understanding kind of what they got to do then I take them uh, for a couple hours um, we'll walk through what precision you know what it looked like when it started um, the additions we put on the transition through all the economic downturns. I think I'm on my fifth one now with coronavirus. Um, so, <laughs> you know, we've walked through all of that. I, I, I want them to know transparency. I want them to know that, you know, you know, I literally come to work seven days a week because I love it. Um, I work in the business. I work on the business. I'm not a guy who's, you know, only here two days a week. Um, I care at a, at a great high level. Um, I want them to know all that stuff. I, t I tell stories about my grandma and grandpa coming in in the first year of business, um, helping to clean. They used to make our guys lunch uh, homemade uh, right out in the shop. We used, to, we used to sit down on Saturday mornings, um, have breakfast, and my grandma and grandpa would tell stories to the people who worked here. Um, you know, on Friday nights, we'd order fish plates and have a couple bottles of beer. Um, I mean, it, it, it just kind of like it was always around you need a family you know, atmosphere in order to make it work. They always say it takes a village to raise a kid. Well, I think it takes a village to raise a business. I mean, you can't do it without collaboration and people who, who really give a shit, you know. I'm gonna, I think you should trademark that. It takes a village to raise a business. I like yeah. that. Steve, yeah, how about I, you? What are you doing for onboarding now? I mean, I, I like Jamie a lot. I'm a big cheerleader. I, I like to go around and, you know, get people in a good mood as well. But everyone here just loves their job. I hear it all day long. They like coming into the office. And it's so obvious that like your work is, you spend so much time at work. Why make an environment where it's miserable or people aren't happy? It's almost easier to create that good environment through either empowering someone or letting other people learn, especially as an owner now. Like I want everyone to know everything. And I think other shops, they spend so much effort trying to keep people where they are instead of just allowing them to grow if they ask questions and you know we train people how to do the laser we made a nice simple process and as you said it's all repetitive too i think and i proved this point many times at rapid we trained hiro how to be a computer programmer like you can train anyone to do anything with the right tools and system and repetition and you know, Hiro is a killer over there at Rapid right now. And it's custom programming. That's harder than anything I've learned in my career. Well, what I'm hearing from both you guys, and I know what I just did at Rapid because it felt right, was as an owner, it is not something to be delegated, the, the onboarding of culture. Let's call it that. And if you want people to behave in the ways that you think your business should operate, they've got to hear it from you because if they're hearing it third hand or even fourth hand or fifth hand, the message is going to get distorted. They, they, it does. And it, the other thing it does is it just tells them that they have access to you as the owner. And I think that that's really important. So, 
I encourage other shop owners not to delegate onboarding and to make sure, like Jamie said, that you, you've got 23 years of history there. It hasn't all been roses. The economy hasn't always cooperated. And that's, but that's part of the culture of the company and the history. Well, my, my gut feel is with Jamie's company, you guys are pretty big. Each shift probably has their own characteristics or their own feel to it. Yeah. So a lot of intentionality here, Jamie. And of course, as an owner, you, you do have to work in the business, but you said you work on the business. And that, when I started out the podcast, is something that is so hard to do for many shop owners, it was for me. And part of it might be your journey of self-development the last couple of years. I think that it was that way for myself. I had to take time out to, to learn how to be a leader and have other people teach me how to, how to be better. But can you just talk about intentionality and how you get out of fighting fires and, and why perhaps you decided that you, you couldn't be fighting fires all the time? Well, I mean, there's a, there's a multitude of reasons and, and ways that I've been able to walk away from the fires. Um, one of the coolest ones is I was on a, uh, a group mentoring session with Dave Ramsey, and one of the guys in my group was a dentist, really nice guy. And we started talking about um, delegation and I was like, well, I don't really do a lot of it. And he's like, hey, can I give you some honest feedback? And I'm like, absolutely. And I'm like, I'm trying to get better and I need to know your perspective. So he fired back. He's like, well, part of the reason you don't delegate is because you, you're a control freak and you don't know how to let go. <laughs> and I mean, that's exactly the way he said it. And I kind of stepped back. I took some notes and I thought to myself, I'm like, this guy has got, he's got me right between the blinkers. Now, either A, I can get emotional and I can be mad or I can be like, man, I got some stuff to fix. So then I stepped back and I just basically said, look, like, you know, I'm never going to get any better and I can't even help my team if I can't focus on tomorrow because I'm too worried about all these little things. And I started to put more faith and trust in my team. And then I started, we started building a bond through the classes and, you know, saying, Hey, like, I don't, I don't even care if you make a mistake, just go do it. Here's the guidance. Here's the expectation. Come get me if you need help, but I'm not going to solve the problem for you. I just had a lady in scheduling in here this morning, and that was the idea. I'm like, I am not solving the problem. I'm going to give you the expectations. Did you solve the problem before? In my head, maybe. But if you're not delegating, you're probably solving the problem for them. Correct. And then it's, you know, people feel terrible because all they are is managed. Like, you're just telling me what to do. I would rather have them evolve with the process. I think sometimes it's for a couple reasons, it's easy for us not to delegate as owners or even as managers within a custom manufacturer because we probably can solve it faster than teaching someone else how to solve it or, or going through the whole process where they may need to come up with plan B and plan C because plan A didn't work. And some of it, maybe a big part of it is ego that we think we know best. Yeah. And the answer, I, Steve saw this once I learned to let go and it was hard, 
but you, you do consciously have to learn to let go and your people surprise you in, in, in so many positive ways and rapid would never have gotten where it was the, uh, the, the, the stuff that in particular, Steve and his team put in place. We used to have every job had a paper folder. You remember this one, Steve? And, and the orders had paper folders. We had blue for quotes, green for orders. And I had the opportunity to learn from Jay his process on exactly how to do it. <laughs> and we got so big, Steve and some of the others said, we have to automate this. We have to put this in the computer system. And, and I... Yeah. I said, well, I really like the folders, guys, but if you can make it better and not, I'll be blunt, if you can't, as long as you don't fuck it up, go ahead and do it. So, uh, and there was a lot of trust, but you know what? They, once they, once they did that, there, there were so many things we could do with quotes and orders once it was in the computer system that there's no way you can do with stupid paper folders. And it was the, the trust in the team and, and having to let go of something that I created from almost day one that that was hard. I think another thing that's hard for all of us as owners to realize, and, and I heard this one too, and it it kind of hit me hard, but it makes a lot of sense. If, you're, if your response when someone says, why don't you delegate that? Or why do you continue to work in the business? Why don't you let someone else do that? And you say, well, no one can do it like me, or, you know, everybody's busy. Typically what happens is um, you maybe don't have the trust, the faith, in some of the people that work for you and what you got to be able to do is go, I hired that person. And if they're not the right fit, either I train them or I get rid of them. Now, again, I, I don't want to seem like people are expendable, but part of the reason sometimes we don't delegate to, to people within our organizations is we don't spend enough time getting to know them and we don't spend enough time teaching and training them. And then we complain about it and go, well, so-and-so can't do it. So I might as well do it myself. Well, whose fault is it? It's also having, you know, real expectations too. Like in your mind, you always think you could have done it better. And sure. I see that, you know, from right now, I'm tra retraining other managers who have that same um, problem where, you know, they feel they're the only ones that could go make that jig. We actually went through something last week where he asked someone else to do it. Yeah, I knocked it out of the park. It was awesome, you know. And you're not really stealing that fun or that project away from other people in the shop. Do you think about the problems and the day-to-day -day things that are brought to you now in terms of fires? And do you still get sucked in occasionally? Uh, how do you, I guess what I'm getting at is how does, it, it's just our human nature to, to solve problems. How do you not get sucked into that? And, and just step back. I truly, um, I do get sucked in, but not a lot. And I think when I do get sucked in, I'm the one looking to get sucked in. So I'll go to a meeting and they'll be talking about production. I'll sit in the back corner just to kind of see how things are going or if there's anything going on. When I hear anybody struggling, like, oh, I got to go ask so-and-so, or I got to look this up, or I got to go over here, my brain flips to how do I solve that and make it easier? So I didn't know how to write crystal reports um, for job loss, which is extraction of, of data. So what I did is I took a class and then I took another class and I took another class. And now I write all of our custom reports 
And what I tell my team is I don't ever want you to struggle, never. And if you are, you need to come see me and I want to help you fix it. So we are right now in the process of creating um, in our business, some stuff for customer interfaces that just does not exist. And, and it's because we're not better tomorrow than we are today if we do the same thing again. What sort of things are you doing for the customer experience? What I want to be able to do um, in the short term is work with the customer to find out where their pain is and truly listen at a level where it's not about me, it's about them. And then turn around and develop a user interface that they can run their business inside a precision machine from a user interface, uh, which is, you know, maybe I want to get a quote. I might be, I want to check an order. It may be, I want to update an order. I want them to have zero pain, drink a cup of coffee, go into the system and go, Hey, I need a quote on this part. They hit a button and literally in less than a minute, they got a number. How are you approaching that? My partners at paperless parts, uh, my partners at Logic Dashboards, um, our creative team internally, our customers being very forthcoming with, I, I'm bleeding out of many different uh, parts of the organization, can you help me? So it's a, it's a huge collaboration, but the one biggest irritation I have is when I get asked like, how do you beat your competition or how do you sustain your competition? I'll be honest, I don't even care what the competition is doing. I don't care. That, I, love, I love that mindset. <laughs> what do you think your competitive advantage is? I'll take care of you like nobody else. Love it. You use the word partner with some of those companies, and that's not a typical word that might be used when you're buying software or other other items so why do you specifically use that word what does it mean to you i was raised that when you shake a person's hand there's nothing that means more than that i go back to when i started my business i was 24 years old i had a dad who stuck his neck out for me and, and co-signed a loan uh and, and in fact both my parents for $325,000 from a community bank that had no idea what we were going to do. I had no collateral. I had nothing. My parents didn't have a silver spoon. Nothing. Like, why, why did I get that loan? I have no idea to this day. I start the business. A couple months go by. A guy walks in from a tool supply company and says, what are you doing? I said, starting a business. But I said, I could use some tooling. I could use some fixturing. He said, I got something for you. He took his, his catalog. He put it in my left hand. He said, give me your right hand. He looked me in the eye. He shook my hand. He said, I'm going to give you $50,000. Whatever you want in that book, you pay me when you can. He goes, I go, that's all? He goes, yep. And, and the thing, from what I was taught from little on and what people did for me throughout my life mm. and, and continue to do for me, I, I just, I'm indebted to people the rest of my life. Partnership to me is everything. If you don't have the integrity to shake someone's hand, look them in the eye, and do what you say you're going to do, kind of shame on you. So you must have looked at a bunch of different customer, excuse me, suppliers to collaborate with in this vision for your customer experience. Why the ones that you named? Why, well, why, did, why, did, you, yeah, why did you feel that, the, that they will be partners rather than somebody just selling you something? 
because the people who work at these companies are trying to take care of me and who I'm trying to take care of. And their philosophy is, it doesn't matter if it doesn't exist, we're going to figure it out. And I don't want to work with people who are like, well, we can't do that. Or, well, we can't do this. Or, well, we don't do that. Like, that's the norm, right? Like, I need creative brains and I need people who are like, let's go. You want to put in the effort. Yeah. Absolutely. I think there's so much power in partnerships and it gets back to something that I say over and over again. It's you can have an investment mindset or you can have an expense mindset. And when you have a partnership, you're investing in one another and you're not trying to save every penny because if you truly work with one another, you're both going to gain so much more. And I got to give a shout out to uh, Dave Dax who owned DNS machine in Luxembourg. That's where I was working before I started here. And he, I was in a machine shop, a job shop, just like this one. And he said to me, if you start a business, I will support you. I will give you work. I will keep you going. We started a business. We walked in and I, I tell you, even to this day, he doesn't own it anymore. But Russ, um, who does own it, it's the same philosophy. And I'm like, my job is not to hurt you. My job is to complement what you would do. I know we compete and we collaborate. But at the end of the day, like, I don't want to be the reason you're upset. There's so much business out there, too. There really is. I think this is a great time to ask you about the story of the parts that you brought back from overseas. Because the competition isn't in Wisconsin, it's not necessarily in the US, it's bringing back business that has gone overseas. So can you share that? So we have a customer um, that is in the aerospace community, thousands and thousands of employees. And what they had was a program where you as a supplier could come in uh, for two days and do a seminar on what you do. And what they did is they scheduled anyone in engineering, purchasing, anyone in the business that wanted to come sit through it, they could do so. So one of the ladies here in customer service, it was her customer. We flew down. We we're down there for a couple of days and we did a seminar on how machining works, um, things for engineering to consider, like how do we improve the relationship so that when parts are engineered, they can be made better. We can save money. We can speed up the process. So what we did is we flew in boxes of, uh, cheese curds made in Algoma. Um, and we had just some snacks from locally, like sausages and stuff like that. Um, and just kind of put on a presentation. And one of the engineers came in and listened to the presentation and after it was over, walked up to us and said, Hey, like, can you guys do vacuum table machining? And we're like, absolutely. So we looked at it and we didn't quite have what we needed to do it. So I came back, talked to the team and they're like, sure, we can, we can modify our vacuum table systems make a brand new fixture and figure it out. So we told the engineer and they sent us the drawing. They gave us a prototype order um, and we made the part and it turned out every bit as good as what they were getting overseas and they could turn it around a much faster time frame. So that's the other part that, that I really like about our company on the partnership side is we're, we're, we want to solve a problem. Like it's easy to take orders and I don't, I'm not discounting the fact that we don't need orders to survive, but realistically, like if, if customers, want a partner a true partner to come in and sit down and go how do we do this better how do we make this thing you know we got a price point like can you help us like that's where we that's where we strive i love that and 
are there other opportunities with the customer to bring back more parts or is that something you're actively working on? Well, we just got a bid from them, uh, you know, almost 970 some parts. Um, so they're looking at bringing some stuff back. They're also looking at um, consolidating vendors. Um, you know, things are changing obviously in the marketplace. So um, with the help of, uh, you know, our coding systems and the way we do things and how we treat the customer, we, we went from being in a, in, a, in a sea of a lot of fish to a really small pond to a really select group of people that were allowed to bid this project. So again, speaks volumes for our team and, and what they continue to do for their customer. Yeah, I like hearing that too. Uh, you know, I was calling some customers, a lot of conversations. I never heard this term before, LCR. And I had to ask guy, what is LCR? Do, do you know what LCR is? I've never heard it. I don't. Low cost region. I was like, oh my God. So, you know, and then we started talking to him. He's like, we'd love to do it, but if you're not an LCR, can we get you in the business? Or can we get him in the system? And then ever since I heard that one called LCR, I've heard it three or four times now. And it's just sad that that's, that's where things are going. Yeah. And, you know, the real question is, is not that, and I understand the cost measure, but at the end of the day, do we want to compete with, is it all about price or is there some level of what are you giving me from a service standpoint? How are you taking care of me? And granted, I know it all comes down to cost, but if we're only going to have a conversation strictly around what they're doing in low cost countries, I'm probably not the guy for that conversation. If it's only cost driven. And if more and more people go and send our money across seas, you know, it's like you, that's why in a neighborhood you would buy plumbing from your neighbors. So the money would stay in your area. It's just really right, sad right. to see what was right. happening. We take care of America first is my, again, not that I mind the overseas markets and I get it all. And there's some great, great things that happen over there. But again, I'm obviously U.S. first. Yeah, but then you hear the quality issues and the missed delivery dates and the shipping back and forth. Like I just can't see how it can be that. Yeah. Steve, anything else that you want to ask Jamie? Well, we have them here. I have a lot of respect for you. What you said, I think, you know, really outlined success. I love the, the definition you put on that. And, you know, I'm just starting this journey off. I feel you're not at the end of it, but you're well farther off than I am. You know, some of my goals are, you know, have a, a solid team and things that you've said and really cool shop. It sounds like you're having a good time running over there. And your employees are very lucky. Thank you. Well, Jamie, it's been tons of fun talking with you today. And, you know, I really have to say, I remember going to work as an owner, fighting the fires for the day and leaving sometimes just feeling wiped out, but at the same time feeling like I really didn't get that much done. And it doesn't have to be like that. You gave us some great ways to think about how the business can work for you, how you're working on the business. And I really like how you expressed your intentionality on how you think about precision machining and really appreciate you sharing the ideas and the experience that have helped you grow into, I'll just use the term, a, a solid shop. You know, you, you, you have had the steady growth over the years, you're a sizable shop and you aren't going anywhere. You you've got a great team. It sounds like financially you're in the right place and you're, you're working through this crisis. So it's a, 
it, it reminds me the times where I was able to genuinely sit back in the quiet moments and say, yeah, uh, you know, I'm making a difference. And probably for you, you, you can sit back in some of those quiet moments and say, yeah, I'm following my parents' footsteps and making a difference by taking care of people. So really uh, inspirational there. What else? Yeah. Question. Yeah, what, go. What, do, do you have core values? Did you guys go through that exercise and define the why of your business? Yeah, we actually did that. And then we, we hired a guy by the name of Donald Miller. Um, we brought him in to do story brand work, which is where we're getting our new, um, our new website from, our new marketing. Uh, this company and all the years that I've owned it, we don't have a sales force. We don't have um, sales reps. We don't have direct sales. It's all word of mouth. And then whatever I can generate through conversation uh, or doing, you know, speeches, talks, that kind of stuff. So, um, so yeah, we're just kind of playing around with the marketing side of things right now. Um, so it's awesome. And I will say that, um, for all business owners, one thing I can tell you, and you can talk to my family, you can talk to the people here is that when we made a decision two years ago as a company to make some major, major changes, I looked in the mirror, I started the programs, I started getting better. We looked at our scheduling, we looked at job costing, we looked at the way we do things and we stopped necessarily spending so much time on fires and more time on the business. We've got, we went from a bottom line that was basically eroded to turning it by 25 basis points to the bottom line. Wow. We, went, we went to people that were full of stress. I went home wondering what am I doing? Why am I here? To like going home like with a smile on my face, like literally almost every day of the week, like I don't have any stress. So what I will say is that sometimes it's really hard to stop what you're doing and start something new. And it's very painful in the short term, but the long-term gains are right now we're doing as much as we are in sales as we were with 75 people. And we have basically our people don't have any stress. They really don't have stress. That's amazing. <laughs> so cool. <laughs> so, and again, not saying we're perfect. I'm just saying you could feel the change when you start to pay attention to people and how they behave led by your own, you know, body language on a daily basis, mm -hmm. things start to evolve and they start to change. Wow. I think that is a super place to end right there. And folks, you, you can change. Jamie Absolutely. did it. Jamie did it. And uh, you can too. Everything is a decision. Don't ever forget it. If people want to find out more about Precision Machine or get in touch with you, how can they do so? Uh, you can visit our website at uh, www.builtbyprecision.com. Um, you can also, uh, when you're on the website, obviously there's email, uh, phone contact, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, and I'd be glad to talk to, uh, to you about anything, uh, whether it's um, problems within your own business, uh, answer questions. You know, I, I'm, I'm pretty much an open book, so I think collaboration is, uh, is kind of what I'm after. Is just, you know, who can I help and who can help me? Thanks so much for your time, Jamie. Steve, my co-host, thank you for being here and supporting me and asking some great questions. Jamie, literally starting from zero and building a hugely successful, solid shop. Way to go. Thank you.
I think it's time to give Zoom a rest for today. And I appreciate you in the audience taking the time to listen to Jamie's story and sharing your day with us. Don't be shy with comments and feedback. Love to hear what you think about Steve being on the show with us. So simply go to thejobshopshow.com and let us know what's on your mind. Leave us that five-star review on your favorite podcast channel. And until next time, keep those spindles turning, those lasers cutting, and let's add, check off the important thing of the day. Have a fantastic day. Thank <laughs> you.